This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. This year marks the 20th anniversary of the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks on the United States. The attacks and the U.S. response to them have had profound consequences for American domestic and foreign policy, as well as for international relations and global security. JMU Civic and JMU X Labs have partnered to gather and share stories of James Madison University alumni who have served and continue to serve in the military. If you have a story to contribute for our 9-11 at 20 series, please email civic at jmu.edu. Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University. I'm your co-host, Kara ong I'm Jacqueline Dobrin, the communication specialist here at JMU Civic. This is Abe Goldberg, executive director of JMU Civic and faculty member in the Department of Political Science. In this episode of our mini-series on 9-11 at 20, we talk with Gregory Sullivan, a graduate of James Madison University, who currently works as a management consultant for LMI in Washington, D.C. Greg started his career as an Army officer in 2007, which included two combat deployments in support of Operation Enduring Freedom and two years as a diplomat in Bogota, Colombia during the historic War to Peace time transition. After roughly 10 years in the service, Greg completed a through hike of the entire Appalachian Trail. Some of Greg's achievements include Eagle Scout, Army Ranger Tab, Bronze Star, and the Defense Meritorious Service Medal. In his spare time, you can find him working with veterans, furthering environmental causes, or in the great outdoors. He currently lives in Arlington, Virginia. We hope you enjoy learning from Greg's experiences and invite your thoughts and comments. You can connect with us on Twitter and Facebook, at JMU Civic, and on Instagram, at JMU Dukes Vote. On September 11, 2001, Al-Qaeda operatives hijacked four commercial airliners and crashed them into the World Trade Center in New York and the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. A fourth plane crashed in a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Close to 3,000 people died in the attacks. Although Afghanistan was the base for Al-Qaeda, none of the 19 hijackers were Afghan nationals. Mohammed Atta, an Egyptian, led the group, and 15 of the hijackers originated from Saudi Arabia. In response to the attacks, then-President George W. Bush vowed to win the war against terrorism. On September 18, 2001, President George W. Bush signed into law a joint resolution authorizing the use of force against those responsible for attacking the United States on September 11. Subsequently, the Bush administration utilized that joint resolution as a legal rationale for its decision to take sweeping measures to combat terrorism from invading Afghanistan, to wiretapping U.S. citizens without a court order, to standing up the detention camp at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Some two decades after the U.S.-led forces toppled the Taliban regime in Afghanistan, in what led to the United States' longest war, the Taliban insurgency persists. According to the Watson Institute for International and Public Affairs at Brown University, at least 800,000 people have been killed by direct war violence in the U.S. post-9-11 wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Yemen, and Pakistan. Thousands of United States service members have died in combat, as have thousands of civilian contractors. Many have died later on from injuries and illnesses sustained in the war zones. 
Hundreds of thousands of soldiers and contractors have been wounded and are living with disabilities and war-related illnesses. Allied security forces have also suffered significant casualties, as have forces from the opposition. However, the vast majority of people killed in the fighting since 2001 have been the more than 310,000 civilians. In addition, the U.S. post-9-11 wars have forcibly displaced at least 37 million people in and from Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, the Philippines, Libya, and Syria. This number exceeds the total displaced by every war since 1900, except for World War II. Greg, welcome. Uh, can you start by sharing why you joined the military? Did you realize what you were getting into when you joined ROTC here at James Madison University? To answer the second question rather simply, I knew exactly what it was that I was getting into when I joined ROTC at JMU. At the time, it was 2003, and so the terrorist attacks of 9-11 had already happened. Overall, I joined the military because that had been a, a boyhood dream of mine ever since I could, I could really remember uh, back to my earliest memories when I was about five or six years old. It was an anomaly of sorts because of the neighborhood that I grew up in had a number of different um, Irish and Italian families that had all served or were currently serving in the military. Um, and so I thought that was just the, the coolest thing in the world. Um, and my dream was specifically to become an army ranger since I was a little kid at least initially. It was, it was, a, it was a, a lifelong dream and goal of mine to actually serve in the military. Uh, I, th I thought there was no greater honor um, than, to, than to do just that. Greg, I wonder if you can share where you were on September 11th and how do you remember how that day impacted you? Yeah, so I, I vividly remember being in my junior year of high school and I could very clearly to this day see my biology teacher's face, but I can't actually remember her name for the life of me. I remember the, the atmosphere that morning. Everything felt okay initially when we started school. And by the second or third period, things just felt off. And, you know, this is before cell phones, so you didn't really know what was actually going on as a student at least, because you didn't have access to a cell phone or TV or, or something of that nature during class. Um, and, and as I, it must've been third or fourth period, I, I was going into biology class and, and things really felt off. About midway through one of the teachers, one of my biology teachers, fellow teachers came in, interrupted the class she stepped out, she came back in and stopped the entire class and told us exactly what was going on. Uh, and it, it was, it was, I don't know if devastating was the right way to say it. It was just, it was unbelievable. It was shocking that something like that could actually happen. Um, and you know, it's, it's really changed. I think everything that's happened in, in life to this day. Um, you know, I, I remember traveling as a kid and you didn't have to go through serious airport security. I mean, you went through basic security, but uh, you'd, you'd come back from overseas and you'd skip customs and it just wasn't that intense of a process. And, 
you know, from, from that to uh, how closely we're monitored, um, you know, now there's, there's cameras everywhere in New York city um, to, you know, how we think about life in general um, or how I think about life in general has, has just completely shifted after that. So joining the military was a boyhood dream. 9-11 happens. It's, it's jarring, obviously, to, to all of us. I wonder if you can now speak to your experiences serving in the global war on terror, the global overseas contingency operations, as well as ongoing conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan, and how those experiences have impacted you. I didn't realize when I was actually going through um, the particular events that I went through. So uh, overseas deployments, one to Afghanistan and then my, in support of Operation Enduring Freedom 10, and then the second deployment in support of Operation Enduring Freedom 13. I, I didn't know at the time, and it took me some time to really understand what, what it had actually done to me, at least on a personal level. You know, I walked away from those conflicts with PTSD. Um, I walked away from those uh, conflicts with a tremendous number of life experiences. And then I also walked away from those conflicts with a completely different perspective in life. You know, all of which were, all of which were, were pretty notable. The change in perspective though, as far as how I view the world was, was likely the most significant. You know, you go over to these places and um, the middle of the mountains, I was in Kunar Valley, Afghanistan. And so it was up in the north northeastern um, province. It was a northeastern province in Afghanistan, right on the Pakistani border. Very kinetic. But you realize what other people are actually going through on a daily basis. I mean, these people were, they were using the, the river to bathe themselves. They were living out of huts no running water or electricity um, and, and really only focused on the basic survival um, instincts of, of life on a daily basis. So in other words, getting food, getting water, and then of course, making sure that they're actually staying safe. And so, you know, it made me that much more grateful coming home because we have all of those basic amenities in the U S um, we have all of those, um, we have comforts of life as well over here. And so it changed my perspective in that regard, uh, again, to, to, to just make me more understanding of what other people are going through outside of the United States. And then just made me that much more grateful for, you know, what, it, what exactly it is that, that we have. The actual conflicts, the kinetic action, the, the act of ground combat that I went through along with, um, with my fellow soldiers as well and, and service members was intense at, at points in time. I, actually, my first deployment, it was rather intense the entire time. And to have somebody try to reach out and kill you on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day, is, is jarring as well. And, and that will shape who you are. There's no doubt in my mind that's completely changed or, or rewired how I think about life as well. You know, at, at points in time, it makes you guarded. 
at points in time, it, it, um, it makes you a little bit frustrated, but I realized that because of those life experiences, that's just made me that much more resilient in life to be able to handle really anything that that's put in front of me. It's, it's, it's actually, believe it or not, it's calmed me down. It's given me less anxiety to have had some of those things happen in life because I, I know that I could go up against really any particular problem set. And there, there's no doubt in my mind that I'll actually be able to get through that. Um, you know, between either the, the act of ground combat during my first deployment or, you know, things like going through ranger school, uh, th those things have trained me in, in such a powerful, positive way um, that I don't think I would have gotten that anywhere else had I not actually served um, in, in the service. What do you want the public to appreciate about the United States military response to the 9-11 attacks that are lacking in the mainstream narratives? I don't know if there's anything lacking per se about the, the mainstream narrative. What I, what I would just like to have complemented are all of the individual and then group efforts of all of the service members that, that took part in the overseas conflict. It was a, it was, you know, it was a tough burden to carry for a lot of folks. And, and I really feel for those that did multiple deployments. I mean, I, I heard stories from some of the non-commissioned officers in my unit when I first came in and uh, I was coming in with, with zero deployments. They'd already been on two or three deployments and we're talking 2000, uh, 2006, 2007 timeframe. Um, and a couple of those deployments were back to back. So in other words, they went overseas, they came back home. They, uh, after 12 months, they switched units at the time and then immediately went back to another overseas deployment within six months. Now this is before the, um, deployment cycles had, um, had come about. So in other words, uh, around 2009, 2008, nine, 10, give or take the army had built overall deployment cycles. So, so it, it forced, um, it forced the, the greater organization to realize that a particular soldier had, um, had already been on a deployment. So we, we ought to probably give him or her a break. Um, and, and so, so again, going back to the, the, the burdens of soldiers or units, I, I would just like that to be complimented or, or, or recognized that there were there was a very small portion of people overall that carried a really heavy burden in order to be able to do exactly what it is that the American public asked them to do. What should go without saying, though, is that that's something that we all signed up for. It's all something that we recognize that could potentially happen as we were getting into it. But it would just be nice to have that complemented as well. And, I, and I'm not saying that the mainstream media has left that out. It would just be nice to have that um, continued to be recognized, that there were people that, that carried this really heavy burden on their shoulders to be able to deploy over and over again multiple times in support of the American public. In June, President Joe Biden announced U.S. troop withdrawal from Afghanistan by September 11th, 2021. As we engage in this conversation in July 2021, Taliban fighters are taking or retaking districts in Afghanistan. There are also ongoing attacks on U.S. facilities 
and on the U.S.-led coalition in Iraq. As someone who has experienced the conflicts firsthand on the ground, what concerns do you have about the future of Afghanistan and Iraq and the Middle East more broadly? First thought is will, and of course this is, this is only Greg Sullivan's thought, right? Will things erode back to the point of where we were prior to um, the initial invasions in each one of those particular countries. We, we made some significant effort, at least from, from my perspective, on when I was there um, in, in, on, during OEF 10 and then OEF 13. I'm just concerned that we revert back to a point of no return. We, we lose all of the progress that we've made in so many years of actually being there. That, that's really my biggest concern and not not having a continued presence there um i I think could potentially cause issues uh in you know in the future greg we want to thank you for joining us and sharing your story and sharing your experiences and really quite frankly for being vulnerable and 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 open um, about the way in which the september 11th attacks have impacted you and in our country more broadly as well as afghanistan and 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 the global impacts of the war um, we know that democracy requires shared sacrifice and gratitude to those who have sacrificed and so we want to thank you for the sacrifices you have made um, you've already mentioned the unequal burden that is shared in terms of uh, the, the unequal burden in terms of who was asked to make those sacrifices. Um, so what advice do you have for individuals who have not served in the military for how they can contribute to preserving, strengthening, and reimagining democracy? Yeah, another another really great question. And, and so just to clarify here for a moment, the though it was an unequal burden, I don't think that you ever have to actually serve a day in the military to help preserve, strengthen, or reimagine our, our democracy. I, I truly don't. I remember as a cadet, I went on a training exercise down to uh, Fort Bragg and then on to uh, Camp McCall in North Carolina. It must have been back in 2003, 2004. And I served as an augmentee to what's called Robin Siege, which is a special forces part of the special forces assessment and selection process where potential special forces soldiers are put into a certain area. Uh, and we acted as the quote unquote indigenous force for them to train because that's, that's part of their, their overall real world mission. And there was a, a, what's called a G chief leader there. And the, the G chief leader said at one point when we went to one of the the local camps there in North Carolina, it was supposed to be one of the quote unquote, you know, indigenous um, forces, safe houses. He told us something that I'll never forget. And he said, you never have to serve a day in uniform to be a patriot. A patriot comes in all shapes, sizes, and forms. And he is absolutely right. And, and so one of the things or a few of the things that I think you could do in order to, to truly be a patriot and, and to follow that G Chief's leader's uh, advice or thoughts would be to get involved. Uh, 
there's a number of different ways that you could get involved uh, with with government. I think the the basic, most fundamental thing that you could do is you could vote. Um, you can support our military. Uh, there's a number of different organizations that you that you can join in order to be able to do that. I know Wounded Warriors is a great one. Um, hiring our heroes as well. Uh, and, and then you could really, the mo- most importantly, I think you could be an, an outstanding citizen on a daily basis and, and contribute to the greater overall good uh, of our country. I think that's, that's really important to preserving, strengthening, uh, and reimagining our democracy. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by Jacqueline Dobrin. JMU Civics Communications Specialist. Randy Bednikus, Director of Digital Marketing at JMU, does the syndication for us. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic, and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University on our website at j.mu civic. Until next time.